that I love are military films. I love military. Military history is, I'm very interested in it. And um, one of the things I love is just before a battle scene, you get the commander or the king or the leader giving a speech, encouraging his soldiers to warfare. Churchill was magnificent at that, of course, in a general sense for the British nation during World War II. I love the speech in Braveheart. I, you know, I get, I get all teary as, as I hear uh, that speech. And of course, I love, I love Shakespeare's Henry V. I only quote a little bit of it, Henry V before the Battle of Agincourt. He which has no stomach for this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. Oh, I could go on, but this is not a Shakespearean whatever uh, this morning. Rather, we are looking at spiritual warfare. And we are looking this morning at Paul's speech to Christians to encourage them to stand firm in the warfare that's before them. Now, there are many different concepts that people speak about when it comes to uh, spiritual warfare. In the early church, a group of people known as the Desert Fathers, mainly in, mainly in Egypt, their concept was fighting demons. And they would go out into the desert and they would be by themselves and they would fight these demons and these battles would go on. Here is Grunewald's famous painting, The Temptation of Saint Anthony. And, and, and they saw the battle in this sort of way. And of course, I think they got it wrong time and time again. It was just that they were starving themselves to death and seeing all sorts of things as well as they did not. I'd be seeing things like that if I was living by myself in a cave or in a tomb like St. Anthony did. It was bad enough being in my study for two weeks. And they saw the demonic, as it were, everywhere. And there was an extremism in it. An extremism. And that's been taken up by many modern interpreters as well. And sometimes it and uh, takes away the foundation of what the scripture itself is saying. You see, the main passage in the New Testament about spiritual warfare is the one we just read. And time and time again, you can have teachers speaking on spiritual warfare, and they will speak on everything except for Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 is the textbook of spiritual warfare. It's the textbook. That's why this morning I'm going to concentrate on that in order for us to understand clearly what we are called to be involved with. Second thing I just want to note in beginning is this. Here in the passage, the existence of evil is admitted. The existence of evil. It's a, it's a big battle today. People say there's no such thing as evil. 
Well, I beg to disagree, and the Bible begs to disagree as well. People don't like the supernatural that much these days. Yet, the Christian faith is a supernatural faith. Now, the problem is, once again, the church has blown it on some of these things. For the last month and a half, I've been going through Dante's Inferno. Not literally, okay, I can assure you, all right? But I've been reading Dante's Inferno with a, with a group of guys, and we've been doing that under Baylor University. It's been very, very interesting. And as you look at that 13th century depiction of evil, you get the horns and the tails and the awful things like that. And one of the things about it is not at all biblical. And yet many people, when we speak about the existence of evil, speak about a sort of horned devil with a big tail and all these sort of things. And you know, it just puts people off. But there is a devil. There is evil. And here he's called a scheme. Dark forces that militate against the believer. In verse 12, it's summed up for us by Paul. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We are in, says Paul, a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm and also in the world around us. If you are a believer, I've got news for you. And it's not news of peace, it is news of war that we are involved in spiritual warfare with an evil in the world and around us. And this is something that's made very clear here by Paul. And he makes it incredibly clear. This is not a silly view of evil that we often get in the world, not at all. But it's a real view of evil which history itself shows us. You see, God, God is involved in this cosmic battle, this cosmic battle, and evil lands on this planet and becomes visible in principalities and powers. You can go back to the Roman Empire and you can see this with the Decian persecution and the Neronian persecution and the Diocletian persecution of the church. It was as if evil was taking over the current powers and using those to attack the church. The 20th century has been a very, very good example of that. You only need to mention Stalin, for instance, and see how he murdered thousands, millions of people starved them to death in the Ukraine. Seven million people from, from 1928, I think, to 1932. Incredible. We think of the Holocaust and Hitler with the death of six million Jews and then a death of so many more people as, as well. You think of Mao, you think of Pol Pot, and as, as I often say when I mention Cambodia, we have someone here this morning who lived under Pol Pot. In other words, evil uses principalities and powers right here. 
And as Christians, we are involved in this ongoing battle. There's a battle for truth. There's a battle for good against evil. And we have a part to play in it. And thirdly, and these are just the introductory remarks, I, I promise not to be too long afterwards, but what you have here, you see, is a call to arms. Again, it's the Shakespearean speech. There is something we must do. Verse 10, be strong. Verse 11, put on. Verse 12, our struggle. Put on the whole armour of God. Let me tell you what's useless to you. The armour of God, if you never put it on, useless. No good. No good. I've often used the illustration of, of going with my, uh, my wife and maybe she wants to buy some clothes. And she, she puts, you know, she, she brings out this dress and she says, what do you think of that, Kevin? You know what I say? I don't know. I have no idea. Put it on. <laughs> put it on. I'll tell you then. I'll tell you then. Put it on. The dress is no good unless you put it on. Armour is no good unless you put it on. If you display your armour in the corner and never wear it, it's useless. We are called to action. We are called, uh, chapter 4, 20 and uh, 24, uh, put off your old self, put on your new self. We've already uh, discussed that. We are called to battle against temptation, against persecution, against discouragement. We are called to arms, yet believers live as if there is no war. As if there isn't any war at all. As if this world is just, oh, we're just passing through and it's all very, very nice. No, we are called to do something, to be involved in this spiritual battle. Yet we do it, says the scripture here, by his mighty power. It's not just me, some of you are thinking, how, what chance have I got? How could I battle against these forces? How can I overcome temptation? I know my weakness. How can I do it? Well, it's by his power. His power. I've often used an illustration here. I keep using it. And the power is the power of driving a car. The power is this, you know. Who drives the car? Well, you drive the car to a certain extent. But you know, it's not your power that makes the car go. You put your foot on the accelerator. You put your foot down. You do it. It won't go otherwise. You can't just sit there and go. Come on, come on. You've got to do something. But when you do something, things happen and it moves. And in the Christian faith, we in faith have got to do something. Then we begin to move. Then we begin to move. And sometimes it's not moving forward, it's putting the brake on as well. It's putting the brake on. And lastly here, we are called to stand. Listen to the repetition in verse 11, 13, 14. So that you can take a stand. When evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And having done enough to stand, verse 14, stand firm. God calls us at times just to stand, just to stand. 
my movie recommendation of the week is one of the great war films, and probably none of you have seen it. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. Let's see. This would be really interesting. The Lost Battalion. The Lost Battalion. It's the, oh, you've got it, yeah, it's in. And it's, it's a story of the, of the Marine Corps in World War I. And they're there in modern, this huge operation in World War I. And they hold their ground, that's all they can do, they're overcome. But they hold their ground. They stand firm against the enemy. I could use other illustrations, like the British Square in, in Waterloo, for instance. The temptation is to run, like the Union soldiers ran in first, the first battle of Bull Run. Stonewall Jackson against the wall, determined not to. In other words, there is a call to stand as Christians. But I just want to note, as I come to the end of this series, what is that armour that we put on? And I promise you I won't be long. Firstly, it's the belt of truth. When I think of this and try to illustrate it, I've got some illustrations from history here. But it, today you'll be like a police belt. You know these police belts? Don't they look great? They've got a bit of everything there, you know? If I was a kid, I'd want a police belt. Huh? Years ago, we had a bat belt. Anyone? Any kids remember having a Batman belt? I think I did have a Batman belt at one time. You could pull all sorts of things out of it, or whatever. Well, here Paul says, we need the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And specifically, this could mean two things. Could mean two things. I've got my own view, you can decide for yourself. It could mean the truth of the gospel. That makes sense. But I think that's covered in something else. Rather, this is called the, the belt of sincerity truth. Of being sincere and determined. A sincerity in what you believe and how you believe it. You will be aware that if you have a belt that doesn't fit it's awkward. You walk around. Have you seen people today? But you know, people walk around holding their trousers up. I don't understand it at all. If you've got a belt, wear a belt for goodness sake. But no, they've got to walk around with their trousers down. Whatever. All right. They need the belt of truth. <laughs> because that holds together everything else. So you've got to be sincere in your faith. In this battle, you've got to be sincere. You've got to be sincere. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. Again, there are two, at least two interpretations. And I will give you mine. You can agree to disagree. I don't mind in the slightest, as you know. Some people say this is the righteousness of Christ which we put on. I don't think it is in this context. Because that's covered in something else, as we'll see in a second. Rather, this is living out the life. You're sincere and you're living it out. You are doing what is right. A Christian isn't called just to believe what is right, but to do what is right. And if you're going to be strong in this battle, you must do. You must do. And that's the breastplate of righteousness. One, one commentator says, this is to do with Christian character. Now, let me make this very plain. I believe you become a Christian 
by accepting what Christ has done for you. You're not a Christian because of your goodness, because of your righteousness. All right? Rosetta, you wouldn't have a chance. You would, you, you're just not good enough. Is that true? Is that true? You're not good enough. In and of yourself, you're not. And I know Mary is not good enough. Ten, you was good enough. Mary would be good enough. No, no, you're not. You're not. None of us are good enough in and of ourselves. We accept the righteousness that comes from God. We read that in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Read it in Ephesians chapter 2, Titus chapter 3. And we could go on talking about it. So please don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we're not saved through the righteousness of Christ. But I'm saying in this context, this is about living out a righteous life, which will make us strong. If you do not live out your Christianity, you will be a weak Christian, and you will fall to temptation. Thirdly, your feet sandaled with the gospel of peace. Now, that's really important, your footwear. When I was a youth leader uh, 200 years ago, uh, we would take youth over the mountain, walk, walking mountains and over streams and everything. One of the key things you needed was good boots. If you didn't have good boots, you were in trouble and you know if we are going to fight we need our feet sandaled with good grip good grip this is the whole point which is uh, uh, being made here and here it is the gospel of peace we have something to stand for and to share with others in this spiritual battle we have a message and we are called to share that message Jim will be reminding us in the announcements later on that we have an extra amount daily bread simply because people are listening at home and things like that. We don't want to waste these. So we're going to ask you to take away two or three of them and want to challenge you this week to pass them on to individuals. Just to pass on. Because we want to share this gospel of peace. It's not something we want to... In this battle, we have something to say and share with others. Then the shield of faith. In Latin, the word is scutum. Scutum. And this would be a defense. A defense. And you know that the Roman shield was a big shield. It would, it would cover the whole body. And not only was it a big shield that covered the whole body, but it wasn't to be used just by itself. It was to be used in the community of soldiers. You may have seen Roman movies. I like them as well, all right? And they come and they use the tortoise. You know the tortoise? They all come together like that, and then they have the shield above, shield behind, and they advance with that. In other words, what Paul is saying, if we are going to fight this battle using the shield of faith, believing that what Christ said is true, if we're going to do that, we must fight together, not by ourselves. We are not created, and I want to, want to make this very clear, we are not gladiators. We are soldiers. Soldiers, not gladiators. We're not individual heroes. Rather, we work together. This is why church is important. This is why we long to see so many of us being able to come back uh, time and time again. It's good to see people back. And there are other people who are on their way back. 
And I'll be challenging you over the next few weeks in a brand new series looking at Isaiah about coming out of exile. I'm so excited about that that I'm, I'm jumping on it and I want to jump over this one, but I'm not going to do that. But I want to tell you beforehand, I want to speak about moving out of exile, out of captivity, and to be together again. There is nothing like worshipping together. It's wonderful. Do you know I'm thankful? Let me tell you, I am thankful for all this, for the technology. I really am. I'm thankful for the 70 to 100 hits or whatever, besides the thing we have. I I think that's great. Many of you can't come even to, you can't come to church. And for you, it is marvellous. It is marvellous that you can follow. I want to encourage you to do that. But over the last two weeks, that was I've done. <laughs> Sitting in my study, all right, following. It's good. It's good. Great. But it's nothing compared to the body of Christ. So if you can, if you can, while being safe, while being safe, if you can, fight together encouraging one another as I was as I was here listening to the band earlier on and you know how to change everything last minute I told him I said you're such an encouragement to me such an encouragement because they're there you can see them they kept singing in a strange and foreign land of pandemic <laughs> and led us in worship and I'm thankful Because we need one another. I need to worship. I need to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I really do. Do you know, believe it or not, I need you. I know I need you after the last two weeks. I know. (laughs) I know. Is that because I'm weak? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I need you. And we need one another. And may God give us a rapid response to come together once again when we feel led. Helmet of salvation. Very simple. It's knowing that your head is covered. And that's salvation. Do you know, years ago, I couldn't believe anyone could say they were saved. Oh, how dare you say that? Well, I believe you can now. Why? Because it's Christ's righteousness, not mine. And that's my confidence, not in myself, but in what Christ has done. And we need to wear that. I've often used illustrations from Wales when I was uh, back there, and my hobby at the time was uh, spelunking, or caving, going underground. And one thing you never do when you go underground, you never don't wear a helmet. You've got to wear a helmet. Because in movies, if you're in a cave in movies, have you noticed? You walk into this cave and there's light coming here, there's light coming there. And you think, where's the light? There is no light. When you're in a cave, you, can, you, can put, you can't see a word, you can't see anything. You need something to cover your head because you're going to be bumping your head. And I tell you, in battle, we bump our spiritual heads. And we need that assurance that Christ has saved us. 
And lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. And when I say that, that covers the righteousness of Christ for us. The truth of what Christ has said. I have no idea how to use a sword. No idea at all. No idea. But I know if I'm going to use a sword, I need to be trained. And that's why we emphasize the Bible here. That's why preaching is from the Bible, week in, week out. That's why we're old-fashioned, and we go back to the Word of God. And the Bible is a book to be read and studied. In life groups, in your own personal time, through books that you pick up, the Word being absolutely central. So I want to encourage you with that. But it does end with the whole thing of prayer. It doesn't say, and it is the shield of prayer. It ends with prayer. Continue to pray. Call in God in this battle. There are, because this is spiritual warfare, I'm using movies. I'm using movies which are specifically uh, to do with with warfare. That's why I'm, I'm doing this, my second movie a recommendation. This is a bit, some hard bits in the movie, When We Were Soldiers. How many of you have seen that? When We Were Soldiers. For Vietnam, the first big battle of Vietnam, actually, um, uh, by the 7th uh, uh, Cavalry. And in it, they, they are surrounded, and they don't know what to do. They're going to be overcome by the, the, North, the Northern Army. And what they do is they call in firepower. They can't fight themselves. They haven't got the strength. But they call in the artillery. And that takes them through. And you know, prayer is calling in the spiritual artillery. It's calling in that. You're not strong enough in and of yourself. Neither am I. But God is. God is. And next week we'll be looking at being in exile. And the week after we'll be looking at what does it mean to believe in a God who is really alive and not just an idol. And we'll be looking at that. And then we'll be looking at what can we do, what we need to do in order to advance as believers. We'll be looking to that and we'll be looking to the hope that he has given us. And many of us in our personal Babylons and personal exiles, I hope we're delivered. Delivered into freedom and new life. God is able to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Where would we be without it? So, Lord, help us to do what we should do to the best of our abilities. Have mercy upon us, O God, and strengthen us to do your will as we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.